welcome back to Parlay, a podcast for living and learning to bet on yourself. I'm your host, Kelly McGuire. This season, I've had the opportunity to sit down, well, virtually anyways, with incredible individuals. We've enjoyed candid conversations about learning from past experiences, determining which chances were worth taking, the highs and lows, and finding your inner compass. I'm already exhausted just thinking about today's guest. Courtney Gregory has a lot on her plate, both literally and figuratively. In the midst of starting and running her own catering company, catered by Courtney, she is also currently working her way through the nutrition science program offered through Stanford Medicine in the Department of Nutrition Science, as well as being a mom to two young kids and supportive wife to her husband, who has been in the thick of COVID as a frontline physician in our Calgary hospitals. I would describe Courtney as engaged with life. She works hard and she takes nothing for granted. She is open and honest about some of the challenges she has faced in life and how they have helped shape who she has become. Growing up as a competitive swimmer while being on the move, Courtney has always found the lesson in the situation. An unfortunate family loss at a young age also influenced her to reach out to those in need in the community and grew into her involvement with Calgary-based outreach organization, The Alex. A conversation with Courtney always leaves me feeling heard, understood, and inspired to do more. And no matter how many things are on her plate, Courtney is always cooking up a recipe for good. Welcome, Court. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Of course. It's funny that we actually are doing this virtually because we live down the street from each other. <laughs> it is. We probably could just yell across the, or down the street from, from each other. Yeah. yeah. And have we're this get, conversation. We're getting close. I, you know, I guess in what, week and a half's time or so, we, yeah. we could have done this in person, but yeah. the time was now. So yes. we decided to go for it. So yeah. 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 Well, it's good to see your face regardless. Totally. Same. <laughs> <laughs> So how have you been doing? I know that, uh, especially, you know, given the situation with your hubby, it's been mm. a real up and down year. So how have you guys yeah. been faring? Um, you know what? I, I almost feel guilty saying this, but like, we've done really well mm-hmm. to be, you know, to be, you don't have to feel totally guilty. That's a, well, that's a great answer, right? Yeah. And uh, like, obviously this, this year has been a huge struggle and a huge upending for every Mm -hmm. single person on the face of the planet. There's no Mm -hmm. doubt. Um, but I, I think in, in the situation of my family, um, my kids are at an age where it hasn't totally affected them. They don't understand Mm -hmm. really what's happening. And, um, they're young enough that they weren't in school full time. They were only in a few activities. So it, it did mean more time at home and mm-hmm. less time, you know, socializing with friends, but I, I don't think it's really affected them the way that I know it's been affecting um, other kids that are mm-hmm. a little bit older or, or involved in many more team sports. Or, mm-hmm. you know, if you even think about the upcoming Olympics and, yeah. just, you know, how much stress that put on athletes that have been training for four years <laughs> to oh, I get know. to where they are. It's already been delayed by a year and, yeah. you know, you're still facing uncertainties with different protocols and quarantining and you're yeah. getting tested every day. I mean, like 
that is like such a huge stress. Mm -hmm. And then there's been families that have lost work or had to Mm -hmm. try and work from home while having kids from home. I mean, it's just, it's been an insane year for everyone. So in yeah. that way, I almost feel guilty to be like, we're good. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm at, like, I know, especially in the height of it. Um, mm. And we had a, a chat outside too. And it was kind of like, uh, so your husband is a cardiac anesthesiologist. And I know and he has another really long title that has to do with esophageal <laughs> yeah. something. And basically, he's in the thick of it. Like, yeah, he's in the he's in the ER, he's intubating people, and he's been doing that the whole way through. And so that puts a very, very different spin on COVID for your family, like uh, myself and my husband do not have that kind of interaction and in inundation. So yeah, I guess it, it does make it, uh, you know, especially at the beginning, when you were watching it hit the continental US and hit mm-hmm. New York hard. And yeah. my husband did his undergrad in upstate New York and has a lot of friends that live in that area. And you see what was happening in the hospitals. And that mm-hmm. was a little bit scary, because it's like, okay, well, yeah. like, what are we bracing ourselves for? And mm-hmm. what is that going to mean for my husband in terms of like, what what's going to happen, mm-hmm. you know, for him? Um, and we, I think very fortunately didn't really have that scenario happen. Um, but he was because of his subspecialty being in cardiac, um, and because anesthesia also does a lot of intubation, Mm -hmm. they were really the only group of people that really got seconded into the ICU here. That was kind of a a good fit to go into that, those types of situations with their skill set. So he did have to go in and lend some lend some help for a few weeks here and there when things started to get like, you know, really mm-hmm. busy. And so uh, of course, there is like maybe a little bit of worry. Um, but you trust that they're, you know, prepared, and this is yeah. something that they train for. And yeah. for him, it was like, he went in like it was just any other day and just yeah doing what he was doing. And so he it was like water off of his back. And mm-hmm. so I think in that way, too, it it was stressful for me because of course I'm always yeah. going to worry about him. Yeah. Um, but just seeing, you know, him and his ICU colleagues, how they handled the situation and nobody got too heated and it just mm-hmm. was kind of, they're dealing with what they need to deal with. And that was it. There was no complaining. It was just what it was. Yeah. So it was neat to see, I guess, in that way too. Well, a huge thanks to him and all of his colleagues and all of our healthcare workers uh, nationwide and especially in Calgary in our hometown. Mm-hmm. So they've done an exceptional job during yeah. a very tumultuous year. Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah. So enough about all of those, uh, all the COVID let's get rid of, yeah. let's get rid of the COVID <laughs> talk. It's kind of hard. Yes. It's kind of hard to still have a conversation these days without it. And especially given your situation, you know, I wanted to ask because you know, a different situation than most of us. Um, But glad to hear that you guys are doing well. I love seeing you guys. We run into each other in the back alley. Your kids are always, you know, finding puddles and exploring the nature of our back alley. Yeah. (laughs) Which is great. You would never know before you had kids how many interesting things could be found in the back alley. Of Of course. (laughs) But of course. (laughs) Yeah. Some things like they want to collect them and you're like, no, we're not. That's not a collectible, that one. We don't bring slugs into that. House. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) But one of the reasons why I really wanted to have you on, you know, we've been friends for a while. Obviously, we're neighbors, and you always uh, have struck me as somebody who 
you know, you always have lots on the go. I know that, but you kind of, you always go about it kind of quietly and Mm. you just kind of do your thing, but you have a lot going on. And it wasn't until we have actually had some time, like some long walks to have some really in-depth conversations about why you're doing the things you're doing. And a lot of that starts with who you are, where you came from, mm-hmm. things like that. And it's a question that I always like to ask uh, guests to kind of get things rolling is, mm-hmm. um, you know, what was your upbringing like and how has it influenced you as a person? Yeah. Um, I I use this phrase a lot when people ask me where I'm from. Um, <laughs> and I kind of describe myself, I basically say that I'm a Canadian gypsy in a way. <laughs> um, and primarily the reason because of of that would be my dad was with the government. So we moved around like pretty much systematically every four years. Yeah. So I've lived Moncton, New Brunswick, Vancouver, Ottawa, Mm -hmm. Washington, DC. Uh, You know, so I've been really like coast to coast Canada Mm -hmm. and my parents are also from Prince Edward Island. So I have Mm -hmm. maybe more of like a, an East coast, I guess like upbringing or background in terms Mm -hmm. of like how my, my parents were raised. Mm -hmm. Um, But we were, always raised kind of without being around extended family. It was really uh, mm-hmm. the four of us and we were wherever we needed to be yeah. whenever we that needed was home. to be there. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so that was home. So I've also never really, it, it was hard um, when people ask like, where's home? Because mm-hmm. I have always attached home to being like wherever it was my parents were living Yeah, at the time. So um, and I haven't, uh, until this year, my parents have actually just moved here. Mm-hmm. So this is the first time in 20 years that we're living in the same city. Oh, wow. Um, which is so exciting and so lovely. And yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm so thrilled to have them here. Um, but it's always wherever ho- home was always wherever my parents were. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that way, I think it makes it kind of unique because it was never, it was never really about a city or a house in particular. It was mm-hmm. really about like the feeling that was involved with being at home mm-hmm. that I really gravitated towards that really made it home. Yeah. So, yeah. And when you were young, you were quite a competitive swimmer. Yes. Which yeah. I think so- probably has influenced maybe your personality, character traits. Um, I just uh, did a podcast with Jenny Steele, who was also a dancer. And we talked a lot about kind of the things that develop as reach a certain level in whatever you're doing. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I, so I started swimming, we were living in Washington DC at the time. And so I started like summer club in the States. Um, Mm -hmm. the summer club, summer swimming is like a really big thing. And so we had, I had started summer swimming and I just completely fell in love with the sport. And Mm -hmm. I think I loved the sport, but I also loved the competing aspect Mm -hmm. of it. I liked Mm -hmm. racing. I really, something about that. I just really, really loved that. Um, so a couple of years of just the summer swimming and I started swimming winter club um, as well. Um, and by that point, we were then getting ready to make a move to Ottawa. Mm-hmm. And so when we moved to Ottawa, I started winter club like straight away. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that was really where, yeah, like I just, it became, I, I was really obsessed with it probably at that <laughs> age. And it was yeah. like, you know, like any six or seven year old kid who has found their focus. Like mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to the Olympics. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, you know, and I just, I think also looking at that too, for that move, um, it also gave me something to look forward to mm-hmm. um, and to kind of, yeah, like to be excited about in a new city. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and also it kind of, you get to have like almost a secondary set of friends or yeah. com- camaraderie and it's mm-hmm. in like a very specific or focused way. So like your friends at school can all be, you know, you can be friends with a basketball player and mm-hmm. someone who runs track. But then when you're on the pool deck, like everyone is there, like in a singular focus, you're mm-hmm. all training, you're doing the same thing. And so like, there's a kind of a different relationship with friendships that develop there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I had really gotten into swimming. And so I think when we moved to Ottawa, I was 10. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I was for lack of, I don't know how else to say is I was really good. Yeah. <laughs> for my age. Yeah. And, and so the struggle at that point was, um, well, we need to have her like race against boys because yeah. she's like beating all the girls and, you know, and so for almost two years until I was around the age of 12, mm-hmm. I was like the top of my age group, the mm-hmm. top of my training group. I was mm-hmm. competing against boys. Um, and then kind of the decision was made, well, we can't, in this level, we can't really like move you forward training wise, unless we bump you into like a senior group. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so when I was 12, I started training with the senior group, which is more like 16, 17 year olds. (laughs) And that was really my first real lesson in failure, Mm. like utter and complete crash and burn failure. That's quite a job. Yeah, it is. And, and like, none of them wanted me there. Yeah. Yeah. Like (laughs) not welcoming you with open arms into their teenage crew. They were like, who is this kid? That's (laughs) like all of a sudden swimming with us who thinks that she's like, you know, (laughs) hot to trot. Right. And (laughs) of course you're 12 and you're like kind of developed, you've developed this sense of self and this identity within like, for me particularly, it was within swimming. Mm -hmm. So I went from being like the fastest in training Mm -hmm. to the slowest in the pool, yeah. the youngest, mm-hmm. basically the social leper. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like a hard crash and it it was a hard year mm-hmm. um, before I really started to, I had to, uh, there, it was a lot of humble pie. I yeah. ate that year yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it took a while, a lot of ostracizing and things being thrown at me on the bus and um all the things yeah. that you expect teenagers would do um, <laughs> before I kind of started to to realize like how I needed to navigate this mm-hmm. situation. And at that same time, I had also changed schools in Ottawa. Mm-hmm. And so I was in a new group at swimming and a new school board because it was closer to mm-hmm. training, closer to home. It was like a tandem shift where I was coming into like grade seven mm-hmm. um, at a school where everyone had already gone through middle middle school together. Oh, okay. mm-hmm. And then I knew nobody. And oh. then I'm also going into this new group that nobody has the time of day for yeah. me. And so I think when I think back on that year, I tried as much as I could to kind of like brush off mm-hmm. a lot of the insecurity and a lot of the um, the pressure I think I was putting mm-hmm. on myself to try and fit in or to to try and please people. Yeah. And um, I think some of the the people that were that gave me the hardest time at swimming and the people that gave me the hardest time at school, were would eventually within a year apologize to me mm. for behavior, but then also become really good friends. Oh, well, and good. I think yeah, I think that was an amazing experience because yeah. I, honestly, it could have gone 
the total opposite way. Yeah. And I think that saved me from really feeling totally ostracized. Yeah. And so I felt you, you become accepted Mm -hmm. um, and things move on. You decide I'm not, I'm not going to hold a grudge. I'm just going to move forward with this. Yeah. Um, albeit maybe with like a little bit of cautious optimism. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You just, you go forward and then fast forward two years from then my dad gets asked to move from Ottawa to Vancouver. So Mm -hmm. now I've been in the group accepted and in school accepted for two years and you're finally making friends and you're, you know, you're feeling really good. And, and the other thing with swimming too, is like, you're, you get used to training a certain way. You have Mm -hmm. a coach that trains you a certain way. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the thought of in grade 10, having to go from Ottawa to Vancouver yeah. Which, quite frankly, like the only thing I knew about Vancouver was the TV show Danger Bay. Like I, I oh. like I really, <laughs> like I did not know anything yeah. about Vancouver at all. Yeah, and it felt so remote and so far away. And, yeah, um, that move was a huge challenge. Like I think I didn't speak to my parents for like a solid month when we moved, and it was it was so devastating. Yeah, uh, to to me, so devastating and. Just, you know, the nerves of starting your first day of school, mm-hmm. where again, like I, I felt like I had started backwards where I was in grade seven. I'm now in grade 10, where I yeah. have to start all over with all these people that have already had years to yeah. form friendships. And I'm coming in. And unknown. doing it twice over effectively. And yes. Yeah. And the first web and first school. Exactly. And now, so I'm also at that point in my career where I was like looking to make, you know, I'm like part of like the top age group teams and I'm trying to like make nationals and I'm trying mm-hmm. like, and now all of a sudden I'm like changing coaches, changing mm-hmm. groups, changing t- uh, philosophies of training. Like, and mm-hmm. so there's just like, there was just so many things in the air. And I think it was really that, that year, I think I tried to focus so much on like the actual sport itself that I mm-hmm. turned it into this need and desire for like absolute perfectionism. Mm-hmm. And I think I always, maybe had that borderline type of personality. Um, but it, it like really came out and it just started to become like an extremely destructive, like really, really bad, um, mental health, uh, behavior patterns started to really come out. And I think it just, it took probably like, it was like a little slow burn. Mm -hmm. And I think if, again, if I look back, like probably some of the initial triggers were in when I was in grade seven and being moved up those kinds of that, you know, having to really suppress maybe some, some ways that I was feeling Mm -hmm. and just focus. And I never really uh, dealt with how I was um, addressing my stresses. Yeah. And when you're also that age, there's so many other things going on to you that like you're not mature enough to know how to to identify these different behavior patterns and whether they're good or bad or yeah. how do you even address them? How to articulate them? Like how do yeah. you describe them? Right. Um, and so it was probably about six or seven months into my first year of swimming in Vancouver. And I just, I started, I had lost a lot of weight mm-hmm. and I think I was like just really starting to falter a little bit on training. And mm-hmm. I just was like absolutely mentally and physically exhausted And I think my, like my coach had, I think probably picked up on some things, but I really have to credit, uh, one of my, um, 
one of the girls I swam with mm-hmm. for deciding that she was concerned enough about some of my behavior mm-hmm. that she went to my coach and said, like, I, I just, I don't think that things are going well for her yeah. basically. And like, you know, maybe this is like, you know, I just, this is what I'm seeing and I, I I'm just concerned. Yeah. And uh, so I sat, I had sat down with my coach and we had a chat and then he showed up at my par- parents' door on a Sunday afternoon and sat them down and was like, I think we need some help. Mm-hmm. And um, the next week he was, I was in counseling yeah, like pretty much right away, whether I wanted to be there or not. Yeah. Um, and I, to this day, there are so many things that I got out of that six months of counseling that are still so incredibly relevant to how I address stress today. And so I guess the first thing for me was having someone, you know, have the courage to speak up and to say, like, I'm worried about this person. And then having a coach that was willing to follow through on that and to help my family find the right fit for a sports psychologist who was, who was going to be the right person to kind of help me navigate how I was feeling. But yeah, so I think through all of the the feelings of like failure or anytime I actually did fail, which mm-hmm. I mean, when you're, a, when you're an athlete, you fail almost on the daily. Yeah. <laughs> in every aspect of, you know, training or a race goes bad or whatever. Um, I finally had kind of started to be able to build a toolbox that helped me like to be better able to navigate how to compartmentalize maybe some of those and then how to move on with them and how to process and then, you know, really actually deal with instead of suppress. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a thing that I think a lot of us do. It's like, okay, well, let's, I'm just going to push this down because I don't really know how to handle this or I don't have time to do it. I don't have the energy or the space. And then that's when you get the people that say I'm at that boiling point or you, you see the people that just kind of you know, and I think I was really like the volcano that was about to explode. Yeah. And I was lucky to have gotten the support before the yeah. eruption happened. For sure. Well, and thankfully, and one thing that I would say too, about going to uh, a therapist or counselor of some kind, I started going a few years ago dealing with infertility issues. And it's so great to have a different perspective, like a third party perspective, because one thing that I found was I was kind of constantly minimizing my situation and trying mm-hmm. to kind of justify that it it wasn't so bad and that I should just be able to handle it. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I went, uh, I don't know, it was probably like my second session in and, you know, my therapist said to me, like, you've had trauma and like you have like PTSD effectively. Mm-hmm. And I, w- I was like, what are you talking about? And she was like, you do. And I'm like, but pe- this happens to people every day. And she was like, and it doesn't mean that it's not traumatic, you yeah. know? So it, yeah. it, it, I felt like somebody else had to give me permission to, mm-hmm. to be okay with what this situation was doing to me and yeah. that I wasn't just weak. Right. And you also, I think like that label of, well, you have trauma, you've, mm-hmm. you've experienced some trauma mm-hmm. sounds in a way like, oh, that couldn't possibly be me. Like yeah. I haven't had trauma, but yeah, like- we, we just, we've decided maybe like as a society that our definition of trauma is one that is so small mm-hmm. that we don't really understand how, how big 
yeah. trauma it- can be or how different and diverse yeah. it really is and how experiential trauma is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, and I think for me, like for a lot of um, teenage girls, I think uh, some of my kind of ways of deflecting Mm -hmm. my uh, anxiety and my um, inability to kind of find a way to cope with stress Mm -hmm. was to really fixate on my body image. Mm -hmm. And that's an incredibly common, uh, most, most often it's not really about the body image itself. It's, it's about the control of what that gives you. Yeah. And, um, I think one of the most significant, uh, most significant lessons that I took away from that was the ability or just to make the decision Mm -hmm. to view body image as a one dimensional thing. Mm -hmm. And my body image is that I'm five foot six and I have Mm -hmm. brown hair and brown eyes. Mm-hmm. That's really truly what the image of your body is. It mm-hmm. doesn't tell people how smart you are, how kind you are, mm-hmm. or that you have a family or, yeah. you know, it, it says nothing about your character or who you are. And so mm-hmm. we shouldn't be letting it define us yeah. so heavily. Mm-hmm. And I think that was something that really, really stuck with me. Um and helped me kind of navigate even later in life. And when you go through um, pregnancy and then your postpartum body Mm -hmm. and when you're breastfeeding and Mm -hmm. everything's weird on your body. And then like all of those changes can be so stressful. And we have in our society, this idea that like, we have to quote unquote, get our body back after baby. And I think that's so incredibly damaging. Um, and it's, it's still, we're relying on this idea of body image. And Mm -hmm. I think it just, it's so harmful to so many people. And it makes you feel in a way like it takes, we're allowing it to take our worth away by putting so much emphasis on this idea of body image when really, if we could just look at it as like, it physically describes who you are, Mm -hmm. it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything really. Like it's a flat description. It's, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have the worth that you carry. Yeah. And I think that was, yeah, that was really, I think, uh, very impactful for me and has continued to be impactful. Mm-hmm. And the other idea was that it, you know, understanding as a woman, um, mm-hmm. and embracing that your body goes through changes, many changes mm-hmm. on a weekly, daily yes. basis. Yes. Um, and that those are things and that make you a woman and those are wonderful, special, powerful mm-hmm. things. Um, and it was actually my coach who I think had had some experience with dealing with some body image issues Mm -hmm. um, with um, athletes in the past. And he had given me this mantra that he was like, I really just want you to try this. Mm -hmm. And I have, I have passed this on so many times and I think it is really, really impactful. And he said, you just need to go in front of a mirror and you need to look at yourself, look straight in, in the mirror and say, blessed am I amongst women to live and love in such a beautiful temple. And he's Mm. like, there are going to be days that maybe you don't believe it, but Mm -hmm. he's like, you need to feel it. You need to say that to yourself. And yeah, it was so powerful and it still is powerful. Oh and yeah. I I literally just like got goosebumps all the way (laughs) like from my fingers down to my (laughs) toes because it's so true. Every no woman, I, I think, especially with so many images and kind of pressure in society. And as you were saying, like this bouncing back after baby, and even if you're not bombarded 
with that through magazines or television shows, now we just kind of do it to each other on social media. And I think sometimes people do it as a validation to make themselves Mm -hmm. feel good about the progress that they're making. And people should feel good about progress. But Mm -hmm. I don't think people put things out there like that necessarily to make other people feel bad. But it's hard if you're struggling and you're not at the place that you want to be and you see those images and then it becomes a big comparison game. It does. And you know what I think the worst, like one of the worst things that we can do to ourselves is compare. Mm -hmm. And I think it's in human nature. I think it's natural. Mm -hmm. Um, But I really honestly think that comparison is the thief of joy. Yes. It it takes away more than it gives you. Yeah. And if we can, like we all need to consciously decide that mm-hmm. this is not something that's serving me or it's not a healthy behavior. Um, because I do think, I think it's such a slippery slope. Mm-hmm. I think it just, it takes, it can, yeah, it just takes away from your value or from what you have in your life already. Yeah. And um, it can kind of, and especially through the lens of social media, because everything is airbrushed and everything is perfect yeah. looking it really skews your ideas of, Mm -hmm. you know, what things should look like. And I think it takes you out of the present and Mm -hmm. you get come out of where you really are in Mm -hmm. in life and seeing the beauty of the present moment and where you are. Yeah. Well, I think this is a great segue into talking about this whole uh, nutrition program that you're doing as well mm-hmm. as your business because mm-hmm. they're linked. And so Courtney has a catering business called Catered by Courtney. And as I mentioned in the introduction, she's simultaneously working on a nutrition program through Stanford. And so I'm assuming that these all kind of stemmed from the work that you have done being a competitive swimmer. And I know health and fitness is still a big part of your life in a in mm-hmm. a healthy way. Um, (laughs) and so maybe you could tell us a little bit about Catered by Courtney and, and also why you chose to do the nutritional program now, uh, while you're running a business and, you know, like, let's just do it all at once. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Right. Um, yeah. So Catered by Courtney, it kind of started like, I've always loved food. I love cooking. Mm -hmm. Food is a love language for me. Mm -hmm. I, and I love cooking for people. And it probably, it's been 10 years of people nudging me, to be quite Mm -hmm. honest, being like, you love this, like, you should be doing this. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Until I finally said, okay, like, I think this is, this is the time. If I'm going to try this out, this is the time for me to do it. Mm -hmm. And so about a year into the business I was doing, I do like lots of little parties and Mm -hmm. I like being able to do those smaller intimate Mm -hmm. gatherings where we can really decide on menus and decide on themes and make it quite tailored. Um, And yeah, so about a year into that, we start to have this whole pandemic situation happen. And I was like, okay, well, you know, maybe I need to start, you know, obviously people aren't having events. Mm -hmm. um, But what I something I can do is um, meals like ready made meals. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of switched more to that. And so I started putting out like biweekly menus that people could order off of. Um, to Which just was genius something. because all yeah. of us were so sick of being in the kitchen <laughs> for three meals a day, but you still yes. want a home cooked dinner. You don't want to, you know, it's great to support the local restaurants and this and that, but you don't always want to be eating takeout necessarily when you don't feel like cooking. And we yeah. definitely all hit different walls of just 
not wanting exactly. to cook anymore. <laughs> totally. And myself included. Like yeah. I love cooking, but there were days where I was like, I'm done. I'm like, done. I'm yeah. out of here. Yeah. Uh, like where's the pizza delivery man? Totally. Because I'm like, I'm literally done being mm-hmm. in the kitchen. Um, but yeah, like, so I had started to kind of do these meals and I had then at the same time, like when you're building your, um, your client base, there were a few people that started to come with like either specific dietary Mm -hmm. issues or, and then, you know, other people were like, well, I have a friend who's kind of, who's going through cancer surgery and I just want to have some meals for them. And, uh, and then I started getting clients that have more chronic inflammatory disease Mm -hmm. issues, um, and, and so it kind of started being like, well, okay, like, let me look at like, what kinds of meals might be good or better for like someone who's needing yeah. to heal after surgery or someone who needs to like strip an inflammatory, like, you know, mm-hmm. an inflammatory diet. Um, and, you know, I've also worked with um, people who have come from uh, seeing a naturopath and who's mm-hmm. making some um uh, recommendations and they don't know how to do those. And so I'll help yeah. them work through like how to change their diet. And so that kind of started to shift. And then at the same time, I think during the pandemic, I started to see on social media so much more of these like diets or 30 day challenges or this mm-hmm. and that. And I'm like, oh, like I just, I, it's so in everyone's faces and we're already feeling so isolated mm-hmm. and maybe we have put on a few pounds or mm-hmm. we have reached for comfort food. And now we're mm-hmm. feeling even more shamed because yeah. there's people on social media <laughs> that are looking like they've got a hundred abs and yeah. <laughs> like they're so cut and they're just like, they're polished and perfect and their yeah. skin is fabulous. And you're over here in your sweatpants and yeah. like about to reach for the ice cream. And you're like, Oh, well, maybe I should do this 30 day cleanse or maybe a juicing thing is for yeah. me. And I just feel like it just, praise on people's insecurities. And mm-hmm. I just got really fed up with it. And, mm-hmm. and I had started to hear from clients, oh, well, like, I'm going to start doing this kind of a diet, or I want to try this. Yeah. So I, you know, like, and I'm just like, I just warning yeah. bells were going off. Yeah. Me. I'm like, I just don't feel like this is people are are disconnecting from food and are not reaching yeah. for healthy relationships with food. Yeah. And I realized more and more like that is more I'm more passionate about that. And yeah, and I kind of just was researching and I came across this program and I was like, well, like, mm-hmm. now's the time. Let's yeah. do this. And yeah. I kind of, I just feel like it kind of fell, like it was almost like that. that's just the way it, it has gone. Yeah. And I did it as much for my clients as much, uh, but for myself as mm-hmm. well. And having young kids and wanting to um, create healthy habits and realizing mm-hmm. that sometimes um, it it's hard. Like there's subliminal messages that you're passing along to your, to your children. Yeah. And there's things that I've also decided to do like well before I had kids mm-hmm. was like not to talk negatively about my body in front mm-hmm. of my children. Yeah. Because I think for just as much for girls, so I have a boy and a girl, mm-hmm. um, it's equally as important for boys and yes. for them to grow into young men um, understanding women that have healthy body uh, images. Mm -hmm. And so I, it's like two sides to one coin is how I kind of refer to it. And so I just, it had always been important to me, but Mm -hmm. now I wanted to be able to just also articulate to them, you know, about food choices and help them kind of understand and navigate why we can't have juice Mm -hmm. every day or why we're not going to McDonald's every day. Yeah. Um, And so I think taking, taking this program, helps me 
kind of have a foundation for assessing some of the diet fads that are yeah. out there in a mm-hmm. more scientific lens. Like I yeah. can actually pick, look at a study and like pick it apart a little bit better and, mm-hmm. and kind of come up with my own um, criticism or conclusions about yeah. the actual science behind the study versus mm-hmm. just reading the diet and going with it. Yeah. Um, and so that was, I, I find like that knowledge is what I wanted the most so yeah. that I could speak intelligently when I'm talking to clients, if they ever ask me questions about things, mm-hmm. um, I, I truly can say, well, you know, like here's some latest evidence or here's maybe some things that you might want to consider if you're yeah. considering this diet. And, um, and just the same with kids too, you know, we've started talking a lot more just about food in general. And, mm-hmm. um, for my, for my family, we have come up with for the kids, it's a red light, yellow light, green mm. light mm. scenario for food to kind yeah. of help them understand. Yeah. So like a green food, they can have it anytime. They can ask me for a green food yeah. whenever they want it. Um, and then we, you know, we talk about what's in, what's in a green food and mm-hmm. why they're important to our body. And then like what's in a yellow and mm-hmm. I put things like pizza and yeah. hot dogs and yellows because it's, I'm never going to, to say that they can't have these yeah. foods but it's just a moderation. It's a food of moderation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then a, a, a red light food would be like McDonald's yeah, and pop and yeah. like cake. And yeah. like, and these are the foods that should make you stop and say, okay, yeah. like, you know, should I be eating this or, mm-hmm. and, you know, just kind of having them be, be more able to like identify the different types of food yeah. and not call it negatively. So there's no good food and there's no bad food. Yeah. And but- because I think that that's not, necessarily a good way to yeah. for kids anyways you can't say like mcdonald's is bad it's just it doesn't really give you nutrients that feed your body properly yeah so it doesn't yeah. help your body grow it doesn't help like and so explaining to them that way instead of being like oh it's really bad yeah um that i just find that that's like uh hopefully going to help them form more positive attachments mm-hmm. to the different food groups and help them make choices that are better in their future yeah. Well, and you and I could probably talk about this forever because I know I also have a nutritional uh, program that I completed a few years ago and food for me has been medicine effectively um, mm-hmm. about, I'm trying to think now, 15 years ago or so when I was diagnosed with Crohn's and also finally found out that I had several food sensitivities that were causing like a massive amount of inflammation in my body. Mm-hmm. When I finally got that sorted, um, and felt better. I didn't realize how unwell I had felt until I felt yes. healthy again. Yeah. And I vowed that I would never feel like that again. If it like what I would do, whatever I could under my control to continue to be healthy. And you know, you don't have to be perfect at it, but you you do need to know what works for you and what doesn't work for you. And I agree yes. with you about these. Mm kind of fad diets and juicing and, and cleanses. And, you know, I think it was in the program that I did, they talked about, you know, like the, the juicing and the cleanses and it's, you shouldn't have to take out so much and then only feed your body so much, you know, it, Mm -hmm. it it really is about developing a good relationship with it. You don't, Mm -hmm. you don't have to be so restrictive, but you have to know that if something doesn't work well with your biology, then you should, probably you need to you should probably take it out or have way less of it you know if it's something Mm -hmm. you really love hey we're all human right like yeah we all have our vices but once you feel well and food has helped you feel well 
you just want to keep going down that route. Yeah. And I also think too, like we get so focused on like, we want someone to just like tell us what to do to yeah. lose 10 pounds. Yep. And that's, I think, and I understand that because there's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of moving parts to that. So it's nice to have programs to follow. And there's, you know, like I, I totally understand that, but I think the problem I have with that, and specifically when you do these like 30 day challenges mm-hmm. that have like fitness attached with like diets mm-hmm. is that you're not learning anything about mm-hmm you and your connection with food and you're Mm -hmm. not being into you don't learn to hone your intuition about food Mm -hmm. you're just like blindly following something whereas I think what we're missing is that intuition when it comes to our bodies and Mm -hmm. really listening to like how how do I feel after I do this type of exercise Mm -hmm. maybe like Susie Q on um, social media is looking like super amazing and she's Mm -hmm. been following, she's been doing this type of exercise, but how do I feel after I do this? Like, is this working for me? Is this Mm -hmm. good for my body? Am I, maybe I'm seeing some changes, but how am I feeling? Like, Mm -hmm. how am I really feeling? And I don't think enough people spend the time to do that. And it's the same with food. It's like, Mm -hmm. okay, well, everyone says quinoa is like the thing to eat. Yeah. Um, but like lots of people can't work? eat it. Yeah. yeah. Like, does that work <laughs> for you? People can't eat it. So yeah. you have to listen, like we have to be able to listen mm-hmm. and do and things like that are said, sustainable. Yes. I the think second, that's the biggest thing. The second those 30 day challenges are over, mm-hmm. you know, if you're like, I'm in it, I'm going to, I'm going to do the diet and I'm going to do the fitness for 30 days. A day or two after you stop doing that, your, your physiology starts to change back to what it was if you don't keep it up. So you're better yeah. to do, to take the moderate steps. Yes. And make the small changes. And once you've mastered one small change, you know, take on another one because yeah. otherwise you're just going to end up in circles. I agree. And then it's the yo-yoing. And then I think yeah. that that contributes to like the shame or yeah. the, the, like the body image issues that happen or the mm-hmm. lack of confidence. Um, yeah, I, I, I could not agree with you more that the slow sustainable changes are the ones that are way you're way more likely to keep. And they're almost ones that, you know, you're, I think you're better off like looking at your diet as a whole and saying like, what are some things that I think I can probably part with or that I don't think are really working for me? Yeah. What are some absolutes that I like, I really want to keep in because mm-hmm. when you say I'm going no booze yeah. for 30 days and then, or I just have to take it out when yeah. like, if you enjoy a glass of wine, like, yeah you know that you're going to want to do that. And yeah. so you should build that into how mm-hmm. you're viewing your, your overall profile yeah. of your diet. Yeah. Um, and so I think you're way better off losing 10 pounds over a year because you've made small changes mm-hmm. than you are to losing 10 pounds in 30 days and then gaining yeah. it all back because you've learned nothing about yeah. w- what's going to work for you in terms of like the psychology of your eating habits. And mm-hmm. I think that's, yeah, I, I totally think that that's the way to go. So I know another thing that you're really passionate about is being involved in the community. Mm. And it's a big part of who you are and especially your involvement with the Alex. So yes. I really wanted to take some time. I know that's a really important piece in your life. So how did the Alex come into your life and how does the Alex service the community for anybody who yeah. doesn't know? Yeah. So maybe I'll start with that. So first off, mm-hmm. the Alex is a, a nonprofit based in Calgary and mm-hmm. it basically focuses on the umbrella of community health. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's kind of broad scope, I guess, is to tackle the 
individual experiences that shape a person's overall health. So that Mm -hmm. could be like poverty, trauma, financial and housing security, food security, Mm -hmm. um, social and community inclusion. Um, And they, they do that so that they can kind of take those views and that comprehensive look at the factors and create programs that actually really function to support all aspects of your Mm -hmm. health. So it's not just about putting a bandaid on something. It's about truly supporting this person so that they can achieve overall health within the community. And um, I think with, because of that, I I think they're an organization that I'm really proud to support um, Mm -hmm. because they, they, you know, they've, they're looking at health from so many different lenses and their ability to kind of be, they've definitely in the last year had to pivot like yeah, big time. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And their ability to be able to do that and to really just be supporting like what's, what's going on in Calgary right now that's needing our help. And they've really been able to do that. And it just makes me so happy to, to support an organization that is so entrenched in our community mm-hmm. and d- has so many different programs that support different aspects of our community. Yeah. So that's kind of the overarching. Yeah. The Alex, um, most of my work um, with the Alex has been focused on the Youth Health Center. Mm-hmm. So I started working with the Youth Health Center about six years ago um, and it was cooking. It was mm-hmm. um, through, I was introduced to a woman who was running a program called Soul Sisters. Oh yeah. Just, I know Soul yeah. Sisters. Yeah. Yeah. And so we just took turns like bringing in big batch cooking into the, the drop-in space. Um, so you would sign up for a day and you would just yep. bring in a big batch of food and drop it off at the Alex's Youth Health Center and um, away you went. And I guess I had started uh, d- kind of doing more of that and um, then had been asked to join a committee for a fundraiser. And so I started to do that. And, and through those two things of just being in the space and dropping off food, but then also being on committees with some of the people that worked with the youth or worked mm-hmm. within the space of the Alex, um, you just start to make connections and um, form relationships. And so that was a couple of years. And then about two years ago, um, I had uh, my, my background in my twenties was uh, more HR focused, mm-hmm. HR and recruitment focused. And when I was living in Vancouver, I used to do a lot of like employment seminars and mm-hmm. go in and speak to different immigration societies and schools and all of that stuff. And I was like, you know, that's something I really enjoyed. And I did mm-hmm. it a bit in my career here in Calgary. Um, but I was like, you know, do they have any pre-employment yeah. programs at the, at, at the youth center? And so mm-hmm. I, I ended up just asking and I said, well, you know what, like I'll volunteer my time to do this. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we kind of got, they're like, yes, we'd, we'd love to have you. And so we got like my police check and I went through kind of the whole like volunteer training. Mm-hmm. And then while that was going on, um, a grant became available for the Alex Youth Health Center to apply for, for a pre-employment program. Yeah. So, so serendipitous. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we applied for it and were awarded the grant. And so mm-hmm. they're like, well, you're hired. <laughs> yeah. And I, at that point, it was like, how do you want to shape this? Like, how do you want to make this program? And so I had the opportunity to kind of design a program and what we had decided to do a lot of the money we left to just support the youth in terms of getting um, access to birth certificates or getting photo identification, Mm -hmm. all of that stuff. Because I think alarmingly, 
um, the biggest barrier for a lot of these youth to employment was that they didn't have ID, the proper identification. So that was where we put, we had kind of allotted, like we knew that we were going to need a fair amount of money for that. Um, Mm -hmm. But we created a program that um, youth could sign up for. And it was a six week kind of program. And we met once a week and we went through different aspects of pre-employment with every week. And at Mm -hmm. the end they would graduate Mm -hmm. and they were awarded a certificate and um, the grant was through RBC. So they were Mm -hmm. able to open a bank account. We had Cadillac Fairview gave us like mall gift certificates so they could buy themselves something. And we had like um, haircuts and like we, they got like a package at the end of this program for graduating. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was also something that they could put on their resume and just to kind of help build. Um, And yeah, so that was really, that became a totally different way that I was interacting with the staff at the the youth health center. And then also the, um, the youth that were accessing the facility. So that was hugely rewarding. Um, and just to see, um, also a bit devastating to be quite honest, there were times where I would get to my car and like have a little cry before I would go home because you just like, can't believe that, people are where they are or that yeah. some, something has happened and, and made this person so incredibly fragile and, yeah. or, you know, they've been taken advantage of by a family member or like, yeah. there's just so many people that you meet that go through here that are just, that have had loss and tragedy and PTSD mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. you know, are chronically homeless or, you know, are suffering from mental health and have not been able to have access to proper care. And mm-hmm. you, it just, it, the list goes on and on and on. So it just, it became so fulfilling. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it just really drove to me like that this so much purpose. It was so purposeful for me. Yeah. Um, and it just became, I just became extremely passionate about, um, you know, about, supporting the youth health center um, specifically, but then also, you know, looking at ways that I could extend my support within the youth community. Um, So I had started, I had been involved as a volunteer, but now I'm on the committee for another um, event that supports youth. It's called Gear Up. And we take youth that are street connected off the street for a day and get them a health checkup, get them a dental checkup. They can have a haircut. They get Mm -hmm. cold weather accessories. They get a backpack full of supplies. Um, They can get a flu shot. And there's Mm -hmm. always addiction specialists that are there. And some of the really amazing adolescent med docs in the city show up. And it's Mm -hmm. just this really great way to kind of get this um, very, very marginalized and very at-risk population some support um, before we head into Calgary's very long winter. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, and again, like it, and it just, I've been able to extend into that. And then I've done various hygiene drives um, to, and, you know, other, other things. So it, it's been, um, yeah, it's, it's been kind of a passion project in a way. Um, But I think it, I didn't make the connection right away. Um, but I had like a lightning bolt moment um, that connected me to um, a, a story that's very personal with my family. Yeah. Um, so I had this one youth who had been coming into our, our program, like my program. Mm-hmm. And I always hung out in the drop-in space afterwards in case someone wanted to ask questions. And so this person came to me afterwards 
And they said, like, do you have some time? And I was like, yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. Thinking that we're going to talk about like resume or we're going to talk about something. And so we sit down and they basically say to me, I don't, I don't feel like I fit into this to society. And I was like, okay. Like, and I spent an hour and a half talking to this person about, you know, how, how they were feeling. And, and it was like a really dark, really scary conversation. And, um, you know, this person, um, identifies as a member of the LGBTQ2S plus community. And, um, I just, I was like, this person is being so vulnerable and so raw with, with me and asking for love and acceptance. And this is something that this person does not feel that they have and has not felt probably in a long time. And I, I felt like this is when, when you go without love and acceptance, you, I think are more apt to making um, poor choices going forward. And I think maybe not even poor choices is the right way to describe it, but choices that could put you into situations of danger Yeah, because you're compromised Mm -hmm. because what you're, what you're looking for is love and acceptance and people will take advantage of you for that reason. And Mm -hmm. I think that can lead people and youth particularly down the wrong path. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, that, was so that moment was so powerful for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that was because um, I had an uncle and mm-hmm. my favorite uncle, mm-hmm. <laughs> as it always was, um, he was gay mm-hmm. and kind, loving, so generous with his time, uh, had, you know, all the time in the world to dress me up in a unused curtain and listen to me put a play on of the little mermaid and did it with the utmost of joy. And just, you know, he just made me feel so incredibly special. And, you know, if we, if you talk to my sister, my cousins, it was like that for all of us, that was how he made all of us feel. And, um, my parents, um, growing up in a small town PEI, um, in a, um, a very Roman Catholic family, um, you know, I don't, I don't really know how accepted or, you know, how, um, yeah, like how, how accepted he felt within his community. Yeah. Um, and, um, obviously that's just me speculating because I, I wasn't around then, but I can imagine, you know, um, that, you know, in the seventies and eighties, like it was probably really, really hard to, to try and come out. And he struggled with a lot of mental health problems. And I think a lot of it was because he wasn't really being who he genuinely was supposed to be. I think uh, that led to a lot of his mental health struggles. And he ended up having a nervous breakdown in his thirties. And I think it was at that point that he really did become a bit more outwardly accepting of, of his sexuality. Mm -hmm. And it it wasn't that my, any of my family members outright disowned. I just think no one was prepared and nobody knew how to handle it and what to do with it. And, um, I just, I just think that those years of needing, to, to feel like he belonged and accepted. I just, I just wonder, you know, if it kind of led, um, you know, to some, maybe some, some decisions that he wouldn't have made if, if, um, if things had been, if things had been different. Yeah. And I think the, the biggest one, um, was 
the one that ultimately led to him being murdered. And yeah, yeah. you know, you can't, you can't help but wonder. Yeah. It ultimately was, you know, a decision. He was out um, at a, at a pub and he befriended a couple of people Mm -hmm. and they um, went back to his house and Mm -hmm. they robbed and murdered him. Yeah. And, you know, would you, would you have a better judgment of people if you weren't so desperate to belong or looking for companionship? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that moment sitting with that youth Mm -hmm. really struck me. Well, you were that, you were able to be that person. You are that person for so Mm -hmm. many people who, who need it and who don't have other places to go to. Um, just so everybody knows, we will have the information for the Alex uh, up in the podcast notes. It's a fantastic organization. It's incredible to think that, you know, a barrier to somebody finding a job is having identification. Yeah. Like that's, it's, it's that crazy. is one teeny tiny piece of the puzzle and if you're interested in learning more about the Alex, uh, you know, d- donating, being part of some of the many amazing programs that they offer to youth and individuals at risk, um, we will have that information up. It's a fantastic organization and Courtney, you're a big part of it. And yeah, like I said, so I just to have you around to help, <laughs> to, help to be so involved. Yeah. Right? I, and, you know, it, it was it's moments like that where you can make those connections and mm-hmm. and feel uh, like you are really, truly making a difference yeah. in someone's life, even just by listening yeah. and making them feel loved and accepted. Mm-hmm. Um, you it's so powerful. That human connection is is something that's so incredibly in, so incredibly powerful. Yeah. And, you know, I just, I think, yeah, it's become one of those things where my, the work that I did through the pre-employment program and that I continue to do through fundraising efforts and various other things that I get myself involved in mm-hmm. at the Alex, um, you know, it's just, it's aside from having my family, I just think it's one of the most worthwhile things I've ever been a part of. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, it's fantastic. And and kudos to you. You've put a lot of time and energy into that and clearly it's making a difference. So we need we need more of that in this world, Courtney. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully now that you're on the podcast and I hope so many people listen and they become educated about it as well. So no, and I'm always available, you know, like if people follow me on social media and drop me a note, mm-hmm. um, you know, if they want to become involved or like I do also often put on my stories if I'm doing a drive for something yes, or if yeah. there's something coming up. Um, you know, I, I do try and, uh, you know, add all of that information. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm actually, I've been invited to be a part of, um, a, like a seminar, a webinar, mm-hmm. um, that's happening actually later this week. Um, and it's, uh, really speaking specifically about the state of the mental health of youth yeah. post pandemic and like what we need to do moving forward. And so this is kind of an opportunity for me to engage with um, some of the outreach, some of the frontline um, physicians and nurses working at the Alex um, mm-hmm. to really hear like what what's going on with them and what they're seeing and and like what needs to happen moving forward. And so mm-hmm. I'm excited and, and very honored to have been invited to, to take part in this, um, mm-hmm. you know, just, um, you know, to be able to have the education and, and have, you know, understand really what's what's happening out mm-hmm. there. And that will hopefully help me 
um, you know, be a better ambassador, like be a, a good ambassador um, mm-hmm. and spread information. And, you know, if there's specific um, fundraising or initiatives that are going to be coming out, I, I will be sharing them as they, as they come up, which I'm sure there will be. I think mental health is a really big topic. Yes. Going forward for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think just, you know, what we've seen um, with um, isolation and what that does to so many people's mental health. And then mm-hmm. you tack on all these other, you know, uh, insecurities or issues of um, housing and um, basic needs not being met, you know, that's just exacerbating some of those um, cycles for our at-risk youth here in Calgary. So I think yeah. it'll be a really big focus for the youth center moving forward. So. Mm-hmm. Well, I look forward to seeing all the information on that and um, we'll be happy to share that information for Thank people you. as well and disseminate that the more people who know the better. So. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> so you have taken so many chances on yourself, uh, whether <laughs> it is, you know, through swimming moves, mm-hmm. like from a social aspect, you're constantly having to start over. Um, you've been rooted in Calgary now for a little while. So I think mm-hmm. that's, you know, you've, you've developed an exceptional community here and I know it feels uh, quite homey to you. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say to somebody who is like, I, I don't know how to take the first step in becoming maybe more of my true self. What would you right. say to them? Yeah, that it's a, I think it's a hard question because it's a very personal question. Mm-hmm. And so I think in some ways, I think it's just about deciding to be a bit adventurous mm-hmm. and deciding that it's okay. Like, you know, maybe if you look at it as an adventure or something that's going to allow you to stretch or grow, it becomes mm-hmm. less scary if it doesn't work out. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, you never know until you try. Yeah. And so like, you know, trying doesn't cost you anything the mm-hmm. way that not trying does. Yes. And I think the other thing is that you never know where it's going to lead. Yeah. That you never know if just trying this or putting yourself into a, a new social scenario, you have no idea where it's going to lead, who you're going to meet, what connections you're going to make, what that might do to change your path or to guide your path. Yeah. And so I guess I just, I think, I think you just go for it. Yeah. <laughs> just, you know, and it doesn't mean like you have to dive in. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, like dip your toe if you're feeling yeah. cautious or, you know, find something like taking a, taking a smarter risk. Like if it's yeah. a business venture, you know, mm-hmm. is there a way for you to, within your community, ask a lot of questions and have mm-hmm. a lot of dialogue, whether or not this is going to work or whether people think that this is a good service or something mm-hmm. that you want to offer, maybe have a trial run. So you're not maybe financially putting yourself in or, you know, like time-wise putting mm-hmm. yourself too heavily into something. Um, but I, I think it's always, it's always worth it. It's always yeah. worth it to try. Yeah. And how are you keeping yourself sane during, well, uh, always, cause you always <laughs> have so much going on. Uh, but especially this past year, has there been any routines, shows, books, mm-hmm. anything that's kind of helped keeping things light for you, keeping you on track and feeling good? Yeah. So I think over this, specifically over this like past year, mm-hmm. um, but since having kids as well, I think um, the the mantra of nothing is permanent mm-hmm. has really served me very yeah. well. Um, particularly when like lockdowns were really heavy yeah. and like, yeah. you know what, we, this is not going to last forever. This yeah. cannot last forever. And it's the yeah. same when you have a newborn who doesn't mm-hmm. want to sleep. Well, this isn't going to last forever. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with a toddler who 
is just Says in no. a tantrum phase. <laughs> yeah. Like you're, this is not going to last forever. And so mm-hmm. I, I, I have utilized that as a mantra um, mm-hmm. a lot in the last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I another, think that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And another one is that um, if I'm feeling overwhelmed or if I'm feeling like I don't know which way to choose or some, you know, if mm-hmm. I have decisions to make, um, or if I feel I'm getting like upset or overwhelmed about something, mm-hmm. I try and say like in the grand scheme of things, yeah. like how important is this? Yeah. Let's put this and, into perspective. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. I think almost instantaneously that like deescalates everything Yes, because mm-hmm. it puts, it puts it into the perspective of like, well, you know what, this is not the hill I'm willing to die on. Yeah. So yeah. like, you know, let's, I'm just going to back away from this and just realize that, you know what, this is just going to be that the way that it is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I may not be able to control the situation, but I definitely control how I handle the situation and how I mm-hmm. decide to look at it and, you know, deciding to look at things that serve you in a more positive way, I think mm-hmm. are always going to be better off than, and, and like, don't get me wrong. Sometimes you have to throw yourself a pity party yeah, and like feel down and just like, mm-hmm. you know, but I think on a whole, if you make the conscious effort to decide to say like, this is out of my control, mm-hmm. um, but these are the things that I can control within this. I think it helps, you know, t- to mitigate yeah. some of the rabbit holes that we can yeah. all go down. For sure. Yeah. And then I think for me, laughing, mm-hmm. I need to find something that I find funny and that's <laughs> kind of, yeah, I think, so I have really enjoyed, um, Conan O'Brien needs a friend. Okay. This podcast. <laughs> it's really yeah. funny. I find mm-hmm. it because I really enjoy silly and self-deprecating humor. Mm-hmm. And so he has that in spades. Yeah. And he has had some really interesting guests. Like he's mm-hmm. had Hillary Clinton and mm-hmm. Michelle Obama. And he's had a ton of comedians that are just straight funny. Yeah. Um, but then you have these other like really thoughtful conversations that are still light mm-hmm. in tone. And I've I've quite enjoyed that as like kind of a way to escape if I just need to not be thinking about things. Um, mm-hmm. And then I am a girl who loves a good fantasy book. Nice. Like, I don't want to be <laughs> on this planet. Like, take me far away. <laughs> yeah. And the more books that are involved in this, like, the longer the story arc, the better. Yeah. And so I have enjoyed several of those over this past year that have just been, like, really nice escapism, just... And oftentimes, like, they do often tie to a lot of, like, social... Mm-hmm. things and streams that are relevant um but they're just you know done in a slightly different way so yeah I think. and and you run still you and traded, i do and i traded I the pool for, for I, I did. Uh, for the pavement yes well uh, you know it is that has been a little bit easier obviously with everything yeah. being closed i'd love to get back into the pool one day mm-hmm. and i do i have said to everyone like swimming is such an incredible skill to know how to do because it's something you can do mm-hmm well into your age because it's yes. so low impact. And I, yeah. I think it's, I think it's an incredible, um, sport. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have always, uh, enjoyed running and I have, I have been able to kind of figure out how to, how to squeeze more of those in. Mm-hmm. And I find that has been really great for me because again, like I can decide to put a podcast on and run yeah. or I can just like blast the tunes. Yeah. Maybe it's Metallica. Yeah. Maybe it's Britney Spears. I don't know. It kind of depends on like depends what on kind day. of day yeah. I'm having. Am I about to get my period? I don't like, you know, it's, so yeah. I think, yeah, those things have really kind of served me well um, mm-hmm. through, yeah, kind of getting through some of those days or when you kind of hit a wall and mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. 
Well, that is all fantastic. I think those are all great recommendations, great <laughs> mantras, and uh, some really good outlets for people mm. to look into. I got to look into that Conan O'Brien one. I haven't heard that one yet. So it, yeah, it's, every, it's, everybody I've, needs I've a laugh, it. right? Yes. Like we all need a laugh every day. So um, yeah, that's always one to a great one to have in your back pocket when you really need one. So yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Well, Courtney, I have really, really loved our conversation. I feel like we probably could have made like three or four episodes of the podcast (laughs) on different topics. So who knows? We might do maybe in season two, which I'm just trying to figure out right now, but maybe in season two, we'll do a follow up and get a little bit more in depth on some of these topics. But, um, you know, I feel so lucky that we're friends. I feel so lucky that you're my neighbor and I get to see you all the time because I do <laughs> I know, feel same. I do feel that every time we have a conversation, um, you know, you, you have such a big heart. You're so genuine and you just show up 100% for all the things that you do. You do them Thank for the you. right reasons. Thank and you. um, you're a big asset to the community, to your friends, your family. And I want to make sure that, you know, we have all of the links to your different endeavors and the things that you're involved with, because they all, they're all just really great things to be a part of and your business as well. You know, we are all sick of cooking three meals a day (laughs) and Courtney is a fantastic cook. And so if you are looking for some homemade meals that are healthy and hearty and you want to feel good about feeding your family, but you don't want to have to do it, you should give Courtney a call. So um, we will have all of that information in the notes. So thanks so much. Well, thanks for your time. I, this was so enjoyable. Good. And it's always lovely to speak with you. I, yeah. Our chats are always so great. And yeah. I love that we like, we, we clear the surface stuff really quickly and we go like deep yeah. right away. And yeah. I found like, especially in this pandemic, like I don't care about surface. Like I want to mm-hmm. have real conversations with yeah. people. I don't, I couldn't care less about the weather. Yeah. I, I want to know like, how are you doing? Like what's mm-hmm. going on? And um, I think maybe that makes me a little bit intense <laughs> sometimes. Um but, but you find I your pe- you find your you find your people fast. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so so I have really enjoyed uh, the fact that we always have nice, deep, intense conversations. So, yeah. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> you're welcome. Anytime. Anytime. And hopefully now, as as the summer passes and we start to get back into the winter weather, we don't have to do it standing outside. I know. <laughs> yes, I know that would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, great. Well, I think it's time to close this out. I know you've got things to do. You've got little kids coming home soon. And mm-hmm. so we will, we'll wrap this session up, but I think there could be a second around the corner. Uh, so, well, I'd, I'd love to, I'm always, <laughs> always up for it. Perfect. Well, the power of connected conversation never ceases to amaze me. Time is precious. So thank you for tuning in. Visit the Parlay website for notes from today's conversation and where you can connect with Courtney. Join me on the next episode of Parlay as we continue to journey on with inspiring individuals and learn invaluable lessons for betting on yourself. Take care, everyone. Talk to you soon.